Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Under God's Rainbow, The Church as Noah's Ark. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 25th, 2014. Last week, I recalled how in 1987, I taught for three weeks at the Bangui Evangelical School of Theology in the Central African Republic. The seminary was founded in 1973 to train pastors from over 20 Francophone countries at a graduate level. Bangui was my first of what eventually became six trips to Africa. A few months ago, the seminary closed, a casualty of the chaos that has engulfed the country for about two years. Ban Ki-moon described the CAR as in free fall. France and the United Nations have warned of genocide, and leaders of the African Union have worried that the country could slip, quote-unquote, into the abyss. A quarter of the population has been displaced. But in the midst of all the chaos and violence, the seminary campus has become a shelter for 1,500 refugees. Jack Robinson explains, because the school is just across the street from the telecommunications center for the country that is heavily guarded by French troops, it does not represent an attractive target for rebel soldiers. The campus is still secure, but all the campus buildings and classrooms are full of families grateful for some kind of shelter and security in the midst of the violence in the city. When I mentioned this story to my friend Art, he had the perfect response. That's what our churches should be, places of refuge. The epistle for this week from 1 Peter 3 is one of the most complicated and controversial texts in the New Testament. In his commentary on 1 Peter, the reformer Martin Luther threw up his hands and wrote, a wonderful text is this, in a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. Here's the epistle for this week. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
Scholars debate just about everything in these verses. The punctuation, the pronouns, the verb tenses, the meaning of every single word. The references to Noah, the flood, and his ark have provoked the best and the worst from Christians. You can visit full-size replicas of Noah's Ark in Holland and Hong Kong. Bogus pseudoscience appeals to the flood. Since the third century, explorers have tried to find the archaeological remains of the Ark. And then there's the cruel theology of the Church Fathers, that just as there was no salvation outside Noah's Ark, there's no salvation outside the Christian Church. But Noah's story has also appealed to our better angels. You'll have to go to our website to consider the artistic expressions like the five that I've included with this essay. Catacomb frescoes, illuminated manuscripts, massive church doors, mosaics, tapestries, and more. Hugh of St. Victor, died 1141, wrote three treatises based upon Noah's Ark. But in the end, and after all the complications and obfuscations, 1 Peter 3 makes a simple but profound point when it compares church baptism to Noah's Ark. The church should be a place of refuge, safety, and salvation. It's a lifeboat, a shelter from the storm. And so the seminarian campus in Bangui has brought to life a literary metaphor. Traditional church architecture has expressed this story of Noah. The main part of the church where the congregation sits is called the nave. The word nave comes from the Latin word navis, meaning a ship, and so a collection of ships is a navy. The church nave symbolizes a ship with its vaulted ceiling looking like an inverted or upside-down keel, and so the church is a safe place in a storm. In his book, Whistling in the Dark, A Doubter's Dictionary, Frederick Beekner comments on the church as Noah's Ark. Listen to his extended reflection. In one as in the other, just about everything imaginable is aboard, the clean and the unclean. They are all piled in together helter-skelter, the predators and the prey, the wild and the tame, the sleek and beautiful ones, and the ones that are ugly as sin. There are sly young foxes and impossible old cows. There are the caddy and the piggish and the peacock proud. There are hawks and there are doves. Some are wise as owls, some are silly as geese. Some meek as lambs and others fire-breathing dragons. There are times when they all cackle and grunt and roar and sing together, and there are times when you could hear a pin drop. 
Most of them have no clear idea just where they're supposed to be heading, or how they're supposed to get there, or what they'll find if and when they finally do. But they figure the people in charge must know, and in the meanwhile sit back on their haunches and try to enjoy the ride. But it's not all enjoyable. There's backbiting, just like everywhere else. There's a pecking order. There's jostling out the trough. There's growling and grousing, bitching and whining. There are dogs in the manger and old goats and black widows. It's a regular menagerie in there, and sometimes it smells to high heaven like one. But even at its worst, there's at least one thing that makes it bearable within, and that is the storm without. The wild winds and terrible waves and in all the watery waste, no help in sight. And at its best, there is, if never clear sailing, shelter from the blast. A sense of somehow heading in the right direction in spite of everything. A ship to keep afloat. And, like a beacon in the dark, the hope of finding safe harbor at last. And so, in conclusion, Jesus, the Redeemer, effected a great reversal. Whereas the waters of the flood brought death and destruction, the waters of baptism bring new life, protection from danger, and a shelter in the storm. For further reflection, consider the quote from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He writes, The church is like Noah's ark that was full of both clean and unclean animals. It must have had an unholy smell, and yet it was carrying eight persons to salvation. The world today is tearing up the photographs of a good society, a good family, a happy individual personal life. But the church is keeping the negatives. And when the moment comes when the world wants a reprint, the church will have them. For books this week, I review a title called Good Prose, The Art of Nonfiction. The authors are Tracy Kidder, and Richard Todd. New York Random House, 2013, 195 pages. Tracy Kidder might be best known for his book, Mountains Beyond Mountains, about the physician Paul Farmer. He's won a Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. One secret behind his success has been his editor of 40 years, Richard Todd. But Kidder's success was hardly a foregone conclusion. In the first article he ever wrote for the Atlantic magazine, the editor-in-chief, Bob Manning, returned the manuscript to Todd with the lament scrawled in the margin, Let's face it, this fellow can't write. This book is partly a memoir about the working relationship between a writer and his editor. 
and also a manual of practical advice about how to become a better writer. There are separate chapters about three distinct types of prose. Narrative, or writing about the world. Essays, in which you write about ideas. And then memoir, in which you write about the self. There are discussions about point of view, structure, chronology, characters, the difference between facts and truth, and style. An interesting standalone chapter considers the ambiguous relationship between art and commerce, writing and money. The book concludes with a short chapter on word usage and grammar, and a brief bibliography of books about writing. But what makes this book really sing is the storytelling about lessons learned over a 40-year friendship. Kidder and Todd are self-effacing, funny, candid, and hard-working. But even after all the hard work, if 80% of books lose money, and publishing is an inherent gamble, then even the best have to acknowledge the power of luck. Todd says that one of Kidder's greatest strengths is that he isn't afraid of writing badly, nor does he shirk from wholesale rewriting, not just tinkering with a text or shuffling the same old stuff around, but throwing good work away and starting over. Kidder was always going to be a writer, says Richard Todd, but, quote, successful or not, who can ever tell? End quote. Good Prose, The Art of Nonfiction by Tracy Kidder and Richard Todd. For movies this week, we go to Indonesia in a film called The Act of Killing, 2012. In 1965, a military coup overthrew the Indonesian government, after which killing squads slaughtered as many as 2.5 million suspected communists in less than a year. Union members, landless farmers, intellectuals, and all ethnic Chinese. This mass murder was carried out with the direct aid of Western governments. The perpetrators are still in power today. In this surreal film, which was nominated for Best Documentary for the 2014 Oscars, two members of the death squads proudly explain what they did and how they did it by reenacting the mass murders. We have too much democracy, says one of the murderers. It's chaos. The film includes other participants, too, including a newspaper journalist, the leader of the notorious Pancasia youth, and even the vice president of Indonesia. The film is in Indonesian with English subtitles. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. The Act of Killing, from Indonesia. And finally, for poetry this week, 
We've posted another poem by Denise Levertas. It's called Candlemoss. It's about Christmas and reflects upon the aged Simeon. With certitude, Simeon opened ancient arms to infant light. Decades before the cross, the tomb, and the new life, he knew new life. What depth of faith he drew on, turning illumined towards the deep night. Candlemas by Denise Levertov. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 25th, 2014. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.